episode 69 of Strange Brow Radio. I'm your host again, Tobe Johnson, and it is quarantine time still here in America. Mm, Waking up later and later. My goodness, that's not a good sign. Today, we have a podcast from a voice that you may know, Lon Strickler of Phantoms and Monsters, and we will be talking flying humanoids and much, much more. So stay tuned for Lon Strickler in a minute, but first, thank you to all those Patreon sponsors out there, patreon.com forward slash strangebrowradio. Remember, without your patronage of Patreon, we just can't keep things going here, especially nowadays, my goodness. So I appreciate everybody who's a member at patreon.com forward slash strangebowradio. Rate, review, and do those little five-star thingies on iTunes. Okay, we'll be right back, and I'll tell you more about Lon Strickler. Before we get to our guest, Lon Strickler, let me tell you about some upcoming dates. Write these babies down. April 18th and 19th. That's a week, well, roughly a week from today. Saturday, April 18th. Go to strangebrowradio.com, click on the quarantine webinars, and get a free ticket, suggested donation of $4.99 to... Mystery of the Elongated Skulls with researcher Brian Forrester and repatriation artist Marcia K. Moore. On there, I would appreciate it. Marcia would appreciate if you donated to Marcia's PayPal account for $4.99. Um, however, the tickets are free. So if you can't afford to go, you're in the middle of a bind. I want to offer that to you. But if you can pitch in $4.99, that helps not only the show, but it helps out Marcia as well as an artist, you can imagine. Very difficult at this point. And again, Brian Forrester, you can find him all over the internet about uh, megalithic ancient tech, we'll call it, uh, especially in South America and places like Puma Punko, uh, and also the Elongated Skulls, a researcher that looked into these things with Marcia K. Moore, who is a repatriation artist. That's what uh, the title is for looking in and reconstructing what these people must have looked like who had these long heads. So we're going to talk three hours about that. That's Saturday, the April 17th, I'm sorry, 18th, from 1 to 4 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. This is a full webinar, full presentation, full Q&A. you got to have a registration at least, if not a $4.99 suggested donation ticket to get it. And so you go to, to strangebrowradio.com, click on the quarantine webinars, And once you're inside the webinar link, you'll see the previous events we've done and the current ones. This is the Mystery of the Elongated Skulls. Click on that. It will give you instructions. Very easy. It's just a click away. You write your name and you get a reservation. Um, Most everyone has a PayPal account. So Marcia K. Moore's PayPal account is within that text body as well. Also, the next day on the 19th, You could order two tickets while you're at strangebrowradio.com. And the 19th, 1 to 4 p.m. again, Pacific Standard Time, the Quantum Bigfoot Language with Ron Moorhead and Scott Nelson. Full presentations, uh, full discussion, totally immersive, but you have to be there. Tickets uh, after, right now they're $4.99 when I recorded this, after Sunday the 12th, 
of April, they're going to go up to $6.99. So if you want a ticket, you got to order it pronto. Well, by the time you hear this, they'll be $6.99. So get your ticket at strangebrowradio.com, and there you will have the invite code as well. And again, these are underneath the quarantine webinar. That is 1 to 4 p.m. on April 19th, Sunday, April 19th, 1 to 4 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Ron Moorhead and Scott R. Nelson, Navy Cryptolinguists. All right, next up we have Lon Strickler of Arcane Radio, Phantoms and Monsters, and his latest book, Flying Humanoids. So we go there. We definitely start off with uh, winged creatures and discuss not only anecdotal stories in his book, but uh, some personal encounter stuff, too. So uh, my conversation now with podcaster, author, and internet dominator, Lon Strickler. All right, here we go. All right, I am here with Lon Strickler, Phantom Monsters and as well, Arcane Radio, the host of Arcane Radio. How are you doing, Lon? I'm doing fine. Good. Good to have you on here. So, Lon, there's uh, obviously a lot going on in the world, and you're paying attention to it. I'm paying attention to it. And um, I want to ask you, first of all, someone who has the pulse of the paranormal, whether or not you've noticed an uptick in paranormal phenomena since the COVID outbreak. Uh, not really. Uh, it, it's probably diminished a bit as, as opposed to before. Okay. Uh, I think there are, pro- well, there are less people out there roaming around looking for things. So, uh, mm-hmm. or seeing things. So yeah, it's kind of, it's kind of dropped off a bit. Okay. All right. And what, so what's your average, uh, call-in rate or audience participation rate are people pretty responsive to you and your show and getting back to you with uh things all across the globe well it it, it doesn't really center much around the show mm-hmm. uh it centers around the blog itself uh, phantomsandmonsters.com mm-hmm. and i have a team the phantoms and monsters 14 research team uh we have 19 members and uh they are spread around North America, and uh, when we do get a call or an email or something we need to check up on, if I can get somebody out there, I will send them out, but um, normally, it's a report that'll come in that we will look into, get as much information about it, and uh, then we'll report it eventually on the blog itself. Okay. Let's describe... um the latest team member research expedition and uh, the the circumstances around it. I'm curious about what's coming in. Well, the, most recently it's been what's been going on in Chicago, which has really been going on for the last three years, which is the uh, Chicago area, Lake Michigan, uh, Mothman or winged humanoid encounters that the people have been experiencing and we've kind of we basically taken the lead on that. We have most of the the sighting reports coming into us, but more recently, since the beginning of October, that the O'Hara International Airport and the Rosemont neighborhood have been uh, kind of uh, point zero for for activity. There's been a lot of activity on the airport property itself. And uh, we have been receiving reports from security guards, TSA guards, 
and uh, people that live around the airport. Okay, so are they having uh, firsthand sightings, close-up sightings? What are we talking about? Oh, yeah, they're, they're actually having encounters with these things. Uh, you know, they, they have seen it. In fact, one of our investigators was out there about a month ago and had an encounter as well. <clears throat> he works for a trucking company, and uh, he's got the permission to go into s- several of the cargo areas. And he, uh, one morning, he saw one of these things flying about also. So, uh, okay. yeah, I mean, and more recently, we had a uh, security guard who had seen one along the fence line going over to the tarmac off the one of the cargo areas. And he initially thought it was someone who was, you know, just getting on the property, watching planes or actually investigating this phenomena. Mm-hmm. And more recently they have been, they have been escorting people off the property, uh, because of this, uh, the the management at O'Hare is very aware of what's been going on. I've been getting reports from from people who work for different parts of uh, you know different companies located at O'Hare, and uh, they've been told point blank uh, not to participate. But luckily, some people are brave enough to come forward and be telling us what's been going on. So why do you think that area? What is it? What is unique about O'Hare? Because there's UFO flaps over there. What's going on in that area? With what do you think, Lon? I don't know. I don't know if it's just because of the activity of the uh, the airplanes and and all the um, you know the hustle and bustle. I, I don't know. I don't know what it, really what it is. Uh, it's it's interesting. It's something we've been trying to figure out. Well, it's something we're trying to figure out mm-hmm. all along around the whole area and. Um, now, to this point, we don't really have any concrete answers, uh, mm-hmm. it, just speculation. One thing we do believe that it's not an indigenous being. Uh, we do believe it's, it's flesh and blood, but it's it's coming into our reality somehow. Uh, is it interdimensional? Has it been summoned somehow? You know, it, it, it's an enigma, and... Uh, you know, we're, we've been looking into it intensely, taking every clue we can get. Right. Now, someone like John Keel, looking at the Mothman prophecies, ends up starting one place and ends an altogether different place at the end of his story. His opinion mm-hmm. changed diversely. Is that Tell us a little bit about your uh, story, Lon, and uh, how this started for you and where you ended up treating the paranormal. Well, I've been involved with... Um, the paranormal since the late seventies. I've, uh, you know, that was a time when you told somebody you were a paranormal investigator, they kind of looked at you funny. And, uh, you know, <laughs> most of what I did was kind of done by word of mouth, but I had actually, I am somewhat of an intuitive and I, I used to spend a lot of time on the Gettysburg battlefield and it was when I was a kid and I had an, I had something happen one day, when I was eight years old, where I actually, it's it just like, it was like the perfect storm had happened. I was, it seemed like all of a sudden I started hearing the battle itself, seeing apparitions, uh, smelling gunfire, all my senses were heightened. And this lasted for about a half a minute, then it just completely ended. So that's where it actually began at. 
Uh, I had a, um, <clears throat> when I moved down to Maryland, I had an encounter with a Bigfoot in, 19, in May of 1981 near Sykesville, Maryland. And uh, I kind of got into the cryptids after that. You know, I, I really wasn't aware of Bigfoot at the time, though I, I knew about it. You know, the, uh, the legend of Boggy Creek was the big deal back then. And uh, I had, had not really known too much about the phenomena. But when I did have the encounter then, you know, my eyes were kind of opened up. And then I had a, um, an encounter in 1988 with two other gentlemen here in Pennsylvania uh, at a Boy Scout camp. And uh, the scouts were complaining and talking about screaming a sound, a child screaming, all kinds of strange, weird sounds coming out of the woods, particularly at night. And they'd be leaving the campsites early. So I was asked to go out and investigate. And uh, we had an encounter with a winged being with red eyes. Uh, you know, I had been aware of the, the Mothman phenomenon in Point Pleasant, West Virginia. But uh, what we saw that night, I don't know if it was the same thing. But it, was, it actually mimicked to, to a degree of what's been going on in Chicago. Mm-hmm. Describe uh, this winged being here. I'm curious. I haven't seen something uh, like this. It was about five to six foot in height. The, the well, and, and this is kind of this kind of is the same what's been going on out in Chicago area. It's dark and colored, uh, five to six foot in height. It's got the red eyes. Uh, we didn't get a real good look at it because it, it literally jettisoned itself into the air. It was standing in the creek. Uh, this is the same phenomenon we're hearing now. Occasionally, the wings people will see the wings open up, but the wings themselves, for the most part, are kind of gargoyle, bat-like in, in structure, anywhere from 10 to 15 foot in width. And uh, the body itself is uh, real dark, usually black in color, very thin, like it's emaciated, if it be a human with a small head. And there are a few small variations between sightings, but, you know, basically that's what people have been seeing. Well, now you mentioned Bigfoot, you mentioned winged humanoids. Mm. Uh, There's some interesting reports of, uh, you know, bat squatch, winged humanoid Sasquatch things. Have you ever taken a report on something like that? Yeah, we had something going on out in uh, Woodstock, Illinois, uh, the winter before last, uh, there were some sightings of, what someone described as an actual Bigfoot with wings. Uh, we had we had three reports out of Woodstock, Illinois. And in fact, one of my investigators, uh, Tobias Whalen, he uh, he took um, he took a report from a gentleman who made a report with the local police department. Then he filed a, a FOIA, and uh, we received the report. So yeah, it was an actual. It was an actual sighting that was investigated by the police. Now, I don't know what this thing was, right? but the description, and in, in my book, my, my new book, I have a, 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 a sketch of this thing, and it does. It looks like a, a Bigfoot with wings on its back. Mm-hmm. What is too much for you to believe in or look at, Lon? You know, the, there's pretty much every variant, every description of something 
hybrid going on here. Is there any creature in particular that you just can't wrap your mind around and say, I don't think so? Uh, I don't know. You know, I, I, I've been doing this so long. I, um, you know, I, I, I agree that some of it's pretty out there, but, uh, you know, I do take people at their word for the most part until I prove otherwise. I, you know, the, uh, some of the some of the things that have been reported to us over the year are, are very hard to believe. Mm-hmm. But uh, then you'll have somebody follow it up and say they've seen the same thing. Mm-hmm. Very credible people, even police officers. I mean, you know, this uh, this phenomenon in Chicago has been seen by police officers also. And well, they have come forward and told us about it. Going with uh, wing humanoids still, does, is this something you can go back uh, through time and find cave paintings from or Renaissance paintings? I mean, we have angels, we have winged humanoids there, but I mean, we have demons, winged humanoids there. Is it, uh, you know, looking through, uh, you know, paintings and cultural significant items like that, do we see representations uh, throughout culture of winged humanoids throughout all history? I think those representations would would match what people have been seeing. Uh, you know, um, it, it's interesting when you when you go back in history and hear about any type of phenomena or any type of being. There is a um, there's usually some type of legend or fable attached to it, and it's try and they try to put it into the mainstream like angels or demons and such. And I, I think people pretty well have been seeing the same thing over the years. And, uh, you know, I, I, you know, because of the world we're in and, um, you know, it's, it's taken more literal as opposed to, uh, being associated with something else. I, I think it's, it may very well be the same type of being. Yeah, no, it's something that uh, has not not made its way to the West Coast readily. I mean, we don't get a lot of reports of uh, things like that. It's a lot of a lot of Bigfoot country out here in the West Coast. So, maybe. well, you'd be surprised. I mean, we have I have gotten reports of winged humanoids on in the West Coast, uh, up and down the West Coast, actually. So, uh, I guess you have to read the book. Right. <laughs> I've, got, I've, got yeah. some, I've got some in there. Yeah. Okay. So you got some casework from uh, the West Coast. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And, you know, some of the other uh, interesting things as far as uh, humanoids in flight are these what look like men in jetpacks that people have uh, videos, you know, they almost look like little astronauts flying around the the Mesa. You have any casework of what I'm talking about? Well, the, you know, the thing that, the thing that closely resembles that is a phenomenon that occurred down in Mexico about a decade ago, which people were calling the flying witches. Um, they kind of did look kind of uh, look like they were some type of humanoid that was flying around on some type of uh, mechanical pack or something like that. Um, and in, and in fact, there was an encounter not far from Monterey. I, um, Ken Gerhardt actually, cryptozoologist actually looked into a lot of this. He went down there. Uh, he still has no explanation as to what it was. <clears throat> These flying humanoids, and you talk about men in packs or something like that. Uh, that that's kind of unusual. Um, you know, I, I don't know of anything specific uh that would you know that would come in that category most most of what i run into are beings with 
some type of propulsion or wings. Right, right. So one of the things that we talk about on the show is this paranormal potpourri that develops in certain areas, these places where the veil is thin. Chicago could be one of these areas. Mexico that you described could be one of these areas. Do you believe that, that uh, there are these hot spots where entry and exit points exist all around the globe for supernatural entities? Oh, yeah, definitely. In particular, here in Pennsylvania, there are some spots, particularly the uh, Chestnut Ridge area uh, in western Pennsylvania. <clears throat> yeah, excuse me. My throat's a little dry. Um, Uh-oh. You, uh, around the sand. Check, you better check your temperature line. Yeah, Come on. <laughs> no, I'm fine there. <laughs> All right. Uh, and uh, San Antonio south into uh, the Rio Grande area, that area down in there, particularly Four Corners of uh, New Mexico, Arizona, Colorado, and Utah. There there are a lot of hot spots. There are a lot of areas where we do get mm-hmm. a lot of different types of reports. Uh, north Northern Illinois, I mean, traditionally has been a hot spot for winged uh, cryptids, mm-hmm. uh, thunderbirds, pterosaurs, mm-hmm. now with these winged humanoids. So, yeah, I mean, there are hot spots. Absolutely, there are. Um, going back to Four Corners, um, I know the work of J.C. Johnson, a little bit mm-hmm. about uh, what happened down there in Four Corners. It seemed like a pretty active area, and uh, J.C. was busy chronicling that as often as he could. Um, tell us about w- the reports coming out of uh, the Four Corners and what you've heard. Well, it's mostly what J.C. has investigated. And in fact, my new book's dedicated to J.C. Uh, I chronicled a lot of his work uh, since, uh, 2010 and, uh, and while, while he was living in that area and he, he has, um, <laughs> it kind of runs a gamut. I mean, he did a lot of Bigfoot research down there. The, uh, the furry ones, what they're referred to by the, the Navajo, um, the, these type of winged humanoids that people said looked like the Jeepers Creepers being uh, that has been seen and uh you know of course with the skinwalkers he he did do a video about skinwalkers about a, a decade ago and uh his association with the uh the reservation police and their investigations and encounters over the years so there was a lot going on down there it really was and i would love to be able to to go back down there to go down there and to do some investigation. And then in fact, one of the gentlemen used to work with JC is in the group. And I have another guy who's most likely going to join the group as well. So, um, yeah, we're keeping tabs on what goes on down there. Let's talk about art imitating life. That's an interesting place to go. Uh, you mentioned a winged creature looking like something out of a horror movie, Jeepers Creepers. Yeah. You, see, you see this time and time again, Lon, where art imitates life, and it's in that order, uh, to be frank. What do you think's going on there as far as like a collective subconscious? Do you think that people know something that they're slowly bleeding out? What, what do you think? I think in this case, and you know, my first book, Mothman Dynasty, the, the Jeepers Creepers reference was made a lot to these beings. I, I just think most people feel that they need to associate it with something that others were familiar with. 
And of course, uh, you know, that's uh, kind of like the first thing that keep, came to people's mind when they saw these things. And, uh, you know, I, I, I'll be honest with you. I think I probably got that reference with like a quarter of the sightings. Right. It and just we, makes you wonder where they come yeah. up with these designs. You hear the predator thing over and over again. The uh, glimmer man. Yeah. 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 <laughs> we, yeah, we do. And, um, you know, it makes you want to think, did, did the originators of these, these, uh, of these characters actually have an experience at some point. I think that's very possible. Mm-hmm. Well, you can't, and you mentioned Skinwalker and of course, Skinwalker ranches uh, on the tip of everybody's tongue. Um, as far as, um, you know, Skinwalker being a unique place, I think mm-hmm. it's unique because of what happened there as far as the research, but in general, would you agree that a place like Skinwalker ranch isn't rare that these exist all over the globe at the same time? you know, quantity of experiences? Oh, I believe so. I believe so. I, I think the Skinwalker Ranch in particular is, is well known for, actually there was a lot of activity by the, seen by the original owners. And it, and it goes back to the indigenous tribes, the Utes, who were, who legendarily did not go on that property. They, uh, you know, they avoided it. So, and people knew about that. So that area has been known about for a while, but there are other places in other areas that are the same way. I mean, uh, you know, I was speaking about the Navajo in, uh, in the four corners area, there are places on their reservations that they don't tread on either. And of course the skinwalker phenomena, which is basically a, um, a witch, that kind of transforms or shapeshifts into whatever type of being they want is, uh, you know, the younger generation will talk about it, but very rarely will the older generation get into the subject with you. Mm-hmm. A place like Skinwalker Ranch. Um, have you ever been to a, a hotbed like that before? A place that uh, you'd say is just, you know, over the top supernatural and, where would that be for you? Well, I, I haven't personally, though. There's there's an area in Pennsylvania I mentioned earlier, the Chestnut Ridge. Um, there seems to be a lot of weird phenomena and high strangeness along that ridge line, uh, which extends from Westmoreland County, Pennsylvania, south into West Virginia. It's about a 100-mile length of ridge line, but there's a lot of strange things that have been going on there for years. Stan Gordon has documented the activity for almost 50 years now. Well, you know, when you describe these entities, the the variant of uh, different entities, the paranormal potpourri, if you will, uh, when you're looking at something like this, and and I'm reminded of Timothy Renner talking about the plaid men. Now he gets all these reports of of a plaid man. Do you th- what do you think of us creating a thought form? Do you think that's a possibility that we we slowly the more we talk about an entity, it, it generates it and and boosts it, and more sightings develop. I think if the energy is there, if someone can use their subconscious mind to create this type of entity, I, I think it's entirely possible. You know, basically, a poltergeist is a thought form. Uh, you know, it's uh, it, it's something that is generated 
by the mind unconsciously of an individual. And uh, it, it turn it becomes a life of its own, basically. And uh, these this this phenomenon has been proven in the past. So when you get into the cryptid world, like with Slender Man and the Plaid Man and other beings, yeah, it very well could be a thought form. You know, Tim Tim is in my group, and uh, we live very near each other. And uh, you know. I, I'm very familiar with what he's been involved with over the years. And uh, I think he and I kind of are on the same level as far as thinking that this very well could be a thought for him because he has his research area his, has uh, produced a lot of strange manifestations. Right. And um, I've hinted at this before, maybe explained it a little bit to the audience. But um, Tim and I, you know, we did a private experiment where we would send gifts to one another. Now, these were supernatural gifts that were given to us, me on the West Coast, him on the East Coast. And then we would mail these and uh, leave them out in, you know, different spots. I'd get his stuff and leave them out here. And uh, the idea was to see if there is any kind of, you know, similarity with time and place and how things move. The hope was, is that there would be a similarity at time and place. And maybe, just maybe, the objects would go home and um, although we were never able to produce that, uh, we did. Uh, we were able to get things to move at the same time, similar objects and stuff like that. So my question is to you is, um, you know, have you ever got gifts like this before, Lon? Things left out for you in areas that you visit, your personal research area? You know, I think that does happen to most investigators. Um, even if they realize it or not, there, there, there do seem at times things that seem to be left. Uh, you know, I have been, you know, when I used to get out a lot and do research, there'd be times when you would see something that would be kind of just sitting out of the ordinary, you know, uh, why it got there, you know, it's hard to describe. It's hard to, you know, believe. Um, I think it's entirely possible. You know, it, it's this whole servitor thought form phenomena and theory. Uh, I don't think we truly understand it yet, but I, I think the human mind is capable of producing varying levels of energy that can actually manifest into something that, uh, you know, mm -hmm. that does cause some problems. Well, what's your opinion of uh, getting something left be behind for you? Uh, is that something that you'd take home with you, or how would you treat that? Well, I guess it depends what it was. But <laughs> I, uh, I probably normally wouldn't. I'd, I'd leave it there and mm -hmm. then come back and see if it remained there. Mm -hmm. um, you know, that... You know, you can get into a lot of different aspects of the paranormal and supernatural when things like that start to happen. I mean, is there something involving the occult? Is there something involving interdimensional beings? Or can it simply be a thought form manifestation or something left by something you may have created yourself? I don't know. Right. No, it's a, it's a, it's a deep hole that, to go down to, uh, of course. But what I'm going to ask you about your other book, your alien disclosure. I mean, we were at the, 
the wide spectrum of disclosure and the brink of a national tragedy going on here, a global tragedy or epidemic, and yet we have alien disclosure um, just kind of waning its existence here, unfortunately. What, what do you think about what's going on as far as disclosure and everything with the USS Nimitz? I, um, I kind of believe, for the most part, we're being spoon-fed this information. Uh, you know, this is something that's been going on for a long, long time. And the fact that this particular incident has been presented to the public the way it has, uh, it, it kind of makes you wonder why they are actually coming forward with it. Uh, is there something else, com- you know, bigger coming down the road? Mm-hmm. Uh you know, they also talked about some of the incidents off the East Coast, mm-hmm. as far as these these um, these craft being seen and following and sorties and such. Right. Um, as far as aliens and extraterrestrials, I, I kind of rely a lot on on witnesses, on experiencers, and on their reports. Their encounters and i heard a lot of them over the years i mean you know it, there is just a lot of it out there um there have been individuals i have worked with though briefly who have just disappeared and never come back i have um been working with a gentleman by the name of david eckhart who will be on my show again this friday night uh who has had a long relationship with uh, extraterrestrials or EBEs that come into his home. Uh, he has, for the better part, tried to photograph a lot of this, uh, a lot of these beings. Um, his saga has been going on for almost 15 years. It, it really it started out of initially him being abducted as well as his family. Uh, he was a, um, he suffered from rheumatoid arthritis. They cured him of that. <clears throat> he seemed to be like singled out for some reason. He still doesn't understand it, why they had singled him out from the very beginning. And the types of entities that he has encountered over those years has changed. And in fact, for the most part now, a lot of these entities are more humanoid and I, when I say human, I'm talking more human-like as opposed to what the other ones were. And uh, But it does change. And their activity changes. Uh, the routine changes. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he can come home from work and he doesn't know what to expect. Because there's a lot of things that happen. Why these portals open up on his property. And it, he has moved also. So it, it's kind of followed him about. Uh, is there something about him that intrigues them that they continually, mm-hmm. you know, come in and check up on him? It's it's bizarre. And I'm not the only person, you know, many people in his family and friends he has have witnessed this as well. It, it's pretty astounding. Well, yeah. So have you worked with witnesses up close and personal as, uh, you know, a host, a researcher, someone who writes about this, someone who's been abducted, had implants and, you know, kind of followed their case? Yeah, there have been many of them over the mm-hmm. years. 
uh, I, I'm also an experiencer. I, I had, um, and I think a lot of it was tied into David. I think uh, after I got involved with his case in 2010, um, of course, they, they knew I was, and they told him, they knew I was helping him try to understand what had been going on. And I and now I was chronicling his uh, you know his encounters, and they basically gave him permission to let me, you know, help him. I don't think he. I don't think David would have um, would have worked with me if I, he wasn't given permission to do so. I mean, that's how intense this has gotten. And in fact, in um, the in nineteen excuse me in two thousand fifteen, my wife. Uh, contracted cancer, and the, that year while she was sick before she passed, I had several encounters with these tall whites, these tall grays. There's been two different types mm-hmm. that have actually come into my mm-hmm. my residence. Mm-hmm. And in uh, one occasion, I was abducted, but it was I was taken to a location where I was shown various things about the past. And, um, it was almost like they wanted me to understand the history of, uh, you know, what the human, the human ET relationship was. And, uh, you know, I was shown various scenarios, but after that occurred, uh, I haven't had any, uh, instances with them since. So, it's been maybe about four years. So no missing time, nothing like that. Not that I can really tell. Mm-hmm. Uh, these all happened at night. I be, would be suddenly woken by these things standing over me. And it was always three of them. Uh, that happened twice. Then the second and the, in the time when they took me, I, I just ended up, at this location, you know, where they showed me what was going on and, uh, or what they wanted me to see. And when I did return, it's almost like I just woke up. It wasn't a dream. Uh, you know, it, it, I had physical, let's put it this way. I, I felt physically drained and physically, I don't know attached to what had actually happened mm-hmm. that I know it wasn't a dream. I mean, I was actually taken somewhere. You said um, they showed you what they wanted you to see. Do you think yeah. there's a, a difference between showing you the, the truth and showing you what you wanted to, they wanted you to see? I think what they showed me may very well be truth as far as, uh, the history of man and uh, and alien interaction, they they seem very very intent on me knowing that the uh, certain civilizations rose because of their involvement, and particularly uh, the Eastern Mediterranean. Uh, the Mesopotamian areas and uh, the Egyptians were a result of their intervention. 
And so they kind of lift their blessing or their hand off of nations and cultures and, and therefore they, yeah, I, I, away. in my book, uh, uh, alien disclosure in the beginning of the book, I do explain some of what had happened to me and what they showed me and what they, they basically chronicled to me. Um, in fact, they, they did show me what they said was the origin of monotheism and, uh, and Moses and the, uh, the Egyptian royal family. And uh, I, I thought it was quite profound, though that theory has also been espoused by others, including Sigmund Freud. So it, it's not something that I read into a lot before mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I was shown this, but since that time I look, I've looked back at it and it's mm-hmm. uh, I don't know if they were, if these other individuals were showing the same thing, but it's pretty close. Now, did they just want to impart wisdom to you or did they want something from you? I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know that. I do not know. Yeah. You have no gut reaction to that. Not really. Mm-hmm. I, um, I mean, I, I, I thought it was remarkable that they showed it to me mm-hmm. and it's kind of, uh, along the same line of what's been going on with David. Um, they, they just seem to put things out there and, uh, for his consumption and, you know, they really don't leave any, any type of, uh, mm-hmm. uh, direction as to what, you know, what's been going, you know, what they, uh, what they believe it is. I guess they kind of leave it up to your interpretation. Right. I mean, it's kind of like sensationalism, you know, journalism at its worst. It's just like they, they drop this bombshell on you either subconsciously or literally. And what are you to do with it? You know, because it sounds it sounds so outrageous to some and uh, you're kind of just stuck with it. Well, I you know, I can kind of give you a little idea of what they did show me in particular. You know, the um, I had done some. I have been trained as a remote viewer and uh, I have been involved with, with this type of uh, investigation for many years. Now I've used it for a lot of different things, but I've also worked with other remote viewers as well. And uh, when I, in this one particular time when I was shown in, you know, this wasn't during a session or anything else. I, I don't know if, if, by being a remote viewer, I was imparted with this for some reason. I had another remote viewer tell me that that may be the reason why I was picked as apart from being, you know, someone chronicling David's story. But there was a historical scenario displayed to me, you know, and when I was standing there and watching I don't know what I was looking at on a screen or it was just something that was placed in front of me. And, uh, I saw a colossal disc shaped craft that would descend and land in an area, which was shown, uh, to be, cause it was kind of like a huge map as well. The area of the present day Nile river Delta. Now, at that time, that particular location was completely encircled by the Mediterranean. 
And this craft later transformed into a massive island. And the, the, the inference to me was that this was the genesis of a great empire. Now, they didn't give me a timeline. I kind of got the sense that this occurred, I'd say, anywhere from fourteen to 12,000 years ago. And, uh, you know, that's, that's just, that's just what I had picked up unconsciously and later, you know, was able to write down when I started trying to write down what, what happened. Mm -hmm. Um, now I don't, you know, I don't think that that particular incident was the first interchange it may have been the most influential, but I'm quite sure they've been involved with the human species on other times. But anyway, um, the rulers of this empire were the occupants of the craft that landed from what I could tell their, you know, their knowledge was uh, disseminated throughout the region and their bloodline was merged with the native people as well. Now, these aliens or ETs or whatever you want to call them communicated to me that this empire was the nexus of several dominant and lesser civilizations in that part of the world. Um, and I did ask them, was this Atlantis? But I never received a, a response to that question, which I found to be interesting. Um you know, I, I witnessed other representations of various cultures uh, over that period, and, you know, some were brief glimpses of, and others were mighty empires. But um, there was always a direct connection to the occupants of the craft that turned into this island empire. Uh, there was a particular emphasis on the development of the ancient Egyptians. And uh, basically, I observed order created out of chaos, uh, a civilization that was deeply influenced by the beliefs of these extraterrestrials. And for thousands of years, mm -hmm. there was continued intervention by these alien gods. And I think, you know, I, I don't know if it still happens now to some degree. <clears throat> but I think during during the entire period of the ancient Egyptians, I think there has been intervention. And in fact, I was presented with a particular series of events that occurred during Egypt's 18th dynasty. Now, you know, this has been classified as the uh, first dynasty of the new kingdom of Egypt. And it's also an, a, a time when Egypt achieved its peak of power. Uh, what they showed me was a profound encounter that occurred during the reign of Amenhotep III, which greatly affected the royal family and the priesthood. Uh, this encounter was interpreted by Amenhotep III as a divine message that the pharaoh was a god that rivaled Amun-Ra and the priesthood. Now, Amenhotep III's 
display of power and disdain for the priesthood was watched closely by his son, Amenhotep, who later changed his name to Akhenaten. And when Akhenaten became pharaoh, he established the quasi-monotheistic belief in the sword deity Yaten, which I believe was a representation of an alien craft or an alien itself. And, uh, but it's also my belief, and I, I get a lot of arguing about this from a lot of people, but that his brother, the Prince Tutmos, who was earlier banished into the Eastern Desert for unknown reasons, later returned to Egypt during the early 19th dynasty as the Hebrew prophet Moses. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was what was shown to me. Now, there were some interpretation, uh, but from everything that I remembered from what I saw and going into the history of the dynasties, this is what I determined what they were trying to tell me. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I put it in there for people to give me, you know, the, you know, get their own observations and conclusions. But, um, you know, I, you know, why they showed me that, are they trying to change the, the history? You know, when mm-hmm. you start getting into religions and the Bible and, and other associations and, uh, you know, and there's another thing too, these beings, and this is something David also told me, because he has discussed it, discussed it with um, with the original reptilian, who was uh, part of his original uh, uh, encounters and abduction. That they do, and I'm talking about all these species of non-terrestrials. They do actually. Um, believe in a supreme being now is it god or is it something else i don't know but they seem to be very reverent to it right you know i spoke to an abductee and she was saying that there is a phrase amongst the grays that they depart to humans impart to humans um and i'm going to butcher the phrase but maybe you can help me with this the phrase is something the effect of when you ask a gray who they are or where they're from, they say something to the effect of we are from the one who creates us all or something to that effect, mm-hmm. Re- referring to a God-like creator. Yeah. 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 Uh, you know, I was pretty blown away by that when I first heard about it, uh, when David told me about it. But then when, you know, I, it was kind of um, presented to me as well. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it kind of made some sense. Now, who this or what this deity is, is it just an energy of some type? Is it what we interpret as God? Uh, you know, people that do believe that there is a God. You know, I'm not very, I'm not a very religious person, but it, mm-hmm. it, it is quite interesting that uh, they do truly recognize a supreme being. Well, you know, they've at least imparted a God part of our brain because it's very difficult for my conscious mind to look at all this randomness and say, yeah, you know, chance over time has created magic. 
You know, it seems so right. like the blind clockmaker, you know, has eyes. So um, I was going to ask you if you ever heard of the work of Sean Mooney. Um, he's a guy out of um, Eastern Washington, I believe, that's working on um, ancient Egyptian artifacts over here in the Pacific Northwest, including a, a large pyramid uh, called Tum Tum Mountain. You know, I've heard about it. I'm not very familiar with his research, but uh, right. I have heard about it. But, you know, that happens a lot. Mm-hmm. There, you know, these artif- there are artifacts that just show up where they shouldn't be all the time. And some of the age that is associated with these artifacts is just unfathomable. I mean, you know, I mean, there has been, there's more going on this planet than people realize. And it goes back way further than we realize (laughs) as well. Right. Well, and it always, uh, I shouldn't say always, but sometimes the Smithsonian seems like fingers are always pointed to the black vault in the basement of the Smithsonian. Have you, <laughs> have you found anything to confirm the Smithsonian as a part of, you know, carrying off some of this evidence? I, I think it's possible. You know, th- th- there have been years, talk about for years that the Smithsonian has been, uh, a part of the, the Bigfoot legend and, and hiding evidence of the Bigfoot legend and that they did possess a body or two at some point. Um, I mean, I hear a lot of things about that. Uh, in particular, the, the Minnesota ice man, there just seemed to be a connection with that thing, uh, where it was actually really found out. Uh, there's a story that this being was actually killed by a Russian, uh, explorer, in Northern California in the early 1800s and that the Smithsonian ended up with this thing at some point. So I, I don't know, you know, I, I, I don't know, but I, you, you know, you do hear a lot of, a lot of stories about the mm-hmm. Smithsonian and in particular, just the government itself, uh, being involved with this, these type of phenomena and, uh, you know, just holding back on letting letting any of this out, and you know, it it's it goes back to the old conspiracy theory is what we know or what we should know, and you know, it, mm-hmm. I, I guess it, it, you know, I guess some people would really like disclosure. I don't know if I really do. I, I think when there is true disclosure, it'll be when it needs to be, and it may be too late at that point. <laughs> right. We'll be doing podcast on lawnmowers if that's yeah. the case. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Getting back to the Smithsonian, one of the conversations I remember having with um, three-time world champion taxidermist out of Canada was Ken Walker um, had a stint as um, a curator of sorts. Um, I think he was working on a taxidermy piece at the Smithsonian. Mm-hmm. And uh, he said that the Smithsonian did have um, interesting artifacts. One of the things that he mentioned was that they um, there was a, um, I guess we'd call it a bear from the Ice Age that was shot in Alaska. And uh, it's a bear that shouldn't exist. I don't remember what kind of bear it was, but he got to see the bones of it. I think he actually got to see more than the bones. Yeah. And, um, you know, this was something that was roaming around in the 20th century. So, uh, to you know, to confirm the things about Sasquatch, um, you know, just can't do that yet. But um, 
you know, the Sasquatch stuff is kind of our bread and butter here on the show. It was the foundation for why the show was even started. So um, getting back to Bigfoot, um, the most recent thing going around, of course, and maybe you've seen it, is this Bigfoot image of the tr- uh, window peeker. You've seen this image, have you? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what to make of that thing. Yeah. Well, I just had some news pass by my desk while you and I were talking regarding this here. And it was from Steve Coles, who is, goes by the pseudonym Squatch Detective. Have you heard of yeah, this Yeah, I, I know Steve personally. Okay, so he's done his due diligence on this case there, and he's written an article, uh, Peekaboo Bigfoot is a Hoax. And uh, he's come up with quite the profile on this guy along the way. And uh, so I thought that was pretty compelling uh, image, but yet not video. You know, you can see the pinks of the eye. You can see a flexibility of what looked like the nose. So I don't know. You know, it seems like Steve has made up his mind. Uh, Bigfoot hoaxing is going to be something that's going to continue. You know, you know, I, (laughs) there used to be a time when I I would look at some of these, these videos and photographs from people who put them on YouTube and such. Um, now I have had some, some interesting photographs sent to me over the years and, uh, uh, for the most part, I think people were very sincere about what they showed me. And uh, I, I do believe some of these very well may have been real. That particular uh, photograph of this this thing looking through the uh, the window, I, you know, I, my, you know, we, sh- we looked over and talked about it within our group. And I have uh, a, a pretty decent-sized group of uh, Bigfoot investigators in there. And I think for the most part, most of them thought it was a hoax. Um, it, it just didn't look right to me. I think uh, some of the but, things that uh, Steve is citing here is uh, basically real estate deals that didn't happen that were mentioned in the report and uh, uh, police record of sorts, uh, a rather seedy police record of sorts. Yeah, uh, on this individual. So my Steve's pulling up police records on you hoaxers. You, you best have well, all your he, ducks in a row. <laughs> he's done it before. Um, you know, the, uh, the Georgia Bigfoot, um, uh, fiasco that occurred. I even forget what year that was now, but, uh, Dyer and some, and his other partner down in Georgia who got involved with Tom Piscardi and, Oh yeah, the Bigfoot in the freezer and all right, that. Right, that right. Was, well, you know, I, Steve was actually involved with that from the beginning, and uh, why he turned tail and and uh, and try and he actually became, uh, a, you know, actually turned away from that and then started mm-hmm. coming forward with what really happened. I don't know what the full story is there. Mm-hmm. I've heard a lot of speculation, but ever since that uh, particular incident, he's been, he, he has uh, had a knack for going out and finding information on these people that, that present this type of um, mm-hmm. so-called evidence. So, uh, you know, I, I think he very well may, 
maybe telling the truth about this individual. He, like I said, he's done the past. Well, you know, there seems to be this ongoing game that happens where people have legitimate Bigfoot activity. I call them extended experiencers in particular, not so much them, but people that have an initial sighting and they kind of chase the dragon and they feel like, Oh, I, you know, maybe if I just hoax a little bit, you know, I can get myself back out there. Have you ran in that too with things like with the humanoids? Yeah. yeah. It happens a lot. Um, I don't, I, you know, I, I get, I think people believe that when they see something that they've been chosen somehow to present it to the world, and then they start going a little bit overboard, you know, and uh, I, I have seen that. <laughs> You're <happen>. being kind. <laughs> I, I have seen that happen many times. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I think most hoaxers mm-hmm. have had some type of unexplained encounter that they feel they need to expound on. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and to be able to have people believe that they can, you know, they, they keep going a little bit further to where they're manufacturing evidence and such. You know, I've had people say that about me, you know, well, you know, you, you got involved with this, you know, this Sykesville monster thing. And then they did a TV show about it and all that. And you still talk about it. Well, I mean, yeah, that's true, but I'm not changing the story and I'm not adding to it. So, you know, it happened. I mean, you, you want to believe me, you can. If you don't, you know, that's the way it goes. But, mm-hmm. no, there are people that they do seem to be adding layers to what had originally happened to them at some mm-hmm. point. And it just gets, you know, it just gets to where it's uh, it's almost cartoon-like. Mm-hmm. Now, in the documentary Hellier Part 2, mm-hmm. they go down the rabbit hole of Pan. They end up with, you know, a hooved god of sorts, uh, Sir Nunus. And um, I've seen that in my research as well, that it, it kind of crosses borders with a goat entity of some kind. Have you found that all? Not necessarily. You know, I haven't watched the series. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I... I some of my colleagues have, they've commented on it. So I don't know. I mean, I, the, the, the whole paranormal and I'm talking about involving cryptids and UFOs, aliens, spiritual activity, you know, there is a connection. I mean, there really is. I mean, there are, there are many times when you will be investigating something and something else kind of gets involved with it. Another genre of the paranormal. Mm-hmm. Uh, I truly believe there are connections. Um, in particular, just like the Bigfoot phenomena, there have been many times when people would would say they had a sighting, and an investigator would go to the location even a couple of days later, and and see orb phenomena, see lights, see a lot of strange things. Um, you know. Is it a connection, Bigfoot connection with UFOs and aliens, or is there something else involved there? Um, I, I, I think a lot of the cryptids that people talk about and investigate are connected with other genres of the paranormal. Mm-hmm. It's just a matter of going out there and figuring out what it is. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I believe that most cryptids 
or some type of um, manifestation of a corporal being that has that come from another reality. You know, there are times when people would see uh, people would see a Bigfoot, follow it, and then the thing would just suddenly disappear, like in thin air. I have had two witnesses of these winged humanoids who had the same thing happen to them. They'd watch it flying, and, and right in front of them, it would just disappear like it went through an invisible doorway. Uh, you know, you you mentioned the uh, the glimmer man or the phenomena that's closely related to what happened in the Predator movies. You know, that's that's just heady stuff. I mean, are they, these cryptids able to, uh, are there cryptids or other beings that are able to camouflage themselves or somehow distort uh, their, themselves to the point where, you know, you, you can't see them anymore or barely see them? It's, um, I, I think there are a lot of it, a lot of different connections. And uh, I, I think most investigators, if they do want to get down to what is actually going on, are going to have to be open-minded enough to, mm-hmm. to believe that there is a connection and just not stick to one phenomenon. Well, now people on your research team, these members, are they kind of required to uh, think one way about the phenomena as far as it being so fanned out and unusual, so hot, you know, supernaturally charged? Are they all on board with that? Or do you have, you know, flesh and blood scientists looking for footprints and grabbing hairs? I have an eclectic, this is an eclectic group. This really is. Uh, if you go to my website and, and look on the right hand side, I have the, um, the fans of monsters fortune research link and you click on there and you'll, each one of them will come up and, uh, their backgrounds are varied. Uh, you know, it, I don't require anybody to believe in any specific type of uh, theory or phenomena when it comes to the paranormal. And, uh, you know, I'm open to about everything. You know, and after all these years, I, I believe that any investigator or researcher needs to be more open-minded about, uh, about investigating this phenomena because uh, there's, there's just no simple answer to it but you know we do get along and uh we do bounce things off each other Mm -hmm. and i think that makes for good research well let's give that number out so if people have a report and they want to file it uh you've got a a number here Uh, why don't you give the number out yeah you can call me at 410-241-5974 or you can contact me by email at Lon Strickler at phantomsandmonsters.com. All right. And again, Phantom and Monsters, you can check it out, phantomandmonsters.com and Arcane Radio. Lon, thanks for talking to me. Hey, thanks for having me. All right. The great Lon Strickler. Again, the podcast, Arcane Radio, the website, Phantoms and Monsters. And, of course, the book, Flying Humanoids. You can find those all under the name Lon Strickler. All right, as I was saying, you want to check out strangebrowradio.com. Go to the tab that says Quarantine Webinars, and there you will see your ability to sign up for two different 
lectures, I want to say, webinars or classes or meetups, hangouts. They're more than a hangout. And again, that's the 18th and 19th of April. Marcia K. Moore, Brian Forrester. That would be the conversation on the mystery of the elongated skulls. Truly fascinating. And there is anatomical evidence that these were real people, not head-binding. They are anatomically way different than us. And they'll go over some of those trademarks, as well as talking about some of this ancient tech all around the world and the markers of the elongated skulls being all the way up here in Pacific North and uh, Pacific Northwest in America. So that's news, right? If you listen to the uh, previous conversation we had about the ancient pyramids at Tum Tum Mountain, uh, you would have a, a little bit of an idea of just how hidden the real history is. And remember, the victors write the history books, don't they? So. That's coming up again on the 18th. And then, of course, on the 19th, Ron Moorhead and Scott Nelson, crypto-linguist professor, language professor Scott Nelson, who rarely does uh, long, extensive three-hour discussions about this, but has much to discuss, and it is getting very weird, the things they're discussing. Ron Moorhead as well. So you have to have a ticket. Go to strangebrowradio.com, go to the quarantine webinars, and order those tickets now through Zoom. Again, the mystery of the elongated skulls is a suggested donation to Marcia K. Moore's PayPal account. There, her link on that uh, is written down as well. So, uh, but as of now, the tickets for the Ron Moorhead Quantum Bigfoot language is what we have it titled under is going for six ninety nine. All right. So thank you again for checking that out. Also, thank you for being a part of the show. This is uh, pretty unprecedented times, and you could be doing a lot of other things. I spent the better part of the last two days designing, blueprinting, digging, and uh, slowly building uh, a log jam waterfall feature in the backyard near the evergreen cedar porthole that I made. Portal. I always say porthole. Those are my old Navy days. So, things uh, around here are getting kind of crafty at this point. I don't know if you're getting crafty yourself, but, I don't know, pick up a glue gun or a shovel and have some fun while you're in quarantine. Also, at the patreon.com forward slash strangebrow radio, I'll be putting the Skinwalker Ranch conversation with Bigfoot author Tom Powell and Colonel John B. Alexander only at patreon.com forward slash strangebrow radio. Plugged away. Okay, see you next week, and if not sooner, I will see you in the trees. <laughs>